There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. Today's guest is a man I've admired for decades. I've been really excited to have this conversation. Charles Haley is a member of the National Football League Hall of Fame class of 2015 and the first player in league history to win five Super Bowls. And as my listeners know, as a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan, I was so happy to have played for my favorite team and won three of the Super Bowl rings with them. Charles Haley, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Hey, Chris. Thank you, man. Um, you know, you just blew a lot of smoke on my butt, man, but, but I still love you, though. Uh, it was good smoke. I appreciate that. And I wore this, you know, for those viewing us, I wore this shirt for you today. Oh, okay. I like it. I like it. But I also, you know, before we start, I want to give a shout out to Justin Prettyman, the executive director of the San Francisco 49ers Foundation. Uh, he introduced us and the work that he and the York family and the foundation do in the Bay Area is tremendous. And I know you're actively involved. And so I just want to thank you for, for the work you do with them as well. Hey, Chris, thank you for having me on. Charles Haley joined the San Francisco 49ers as a linebacker in 1986 as the team's fourth round draft pick. He won his first two Super Bowl rings playing for the 49ers and was traded to the Cowboys in 1991, where he made the transition to defensive end. He played four seasons with the Cowboys before returning to the 49ers to end his football career after the 1998-99 season. He was the NFC's Defensive Player of the Year in 1990 and 1994. He played in five Pro Bowls and was a two-time All-Pro selection, once as a linebacker and again as a defensive end. Today, Charles is a mental health advocate spreading awareness about living with bipolar. He and former teammate Ronnie Lott also raised funds to educate teachers about how to help students navigate their own mental health issues. He's the author of the 2016 book, Fear No Evil, Tackling Quarterbacks and Demons on My Way to the Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, will always be the NFL equivalent to baseball's Babe Ruth. I know we're in for the liveliest episodes yet. So, Charles, there's some more smoke for you. Hey, I like it. I like it. I like my Hey, my head shake like a bullet because I'm a big shot. So, you know, <laughs> but, I got to use that quote. I love that. So, Charles, you were known as the most intimidating, most violent player on the field, but you were exactly the opposite as a youngster. Describe for our audience what you were like growing up. Um, I was a class clown. Um, I was, I didn't have much motivation. Um, um, my brothers, they were, they were great athletes and I, I was just a fat short kid that didn't fit in with anybody. And, um, so I hated them and, um, and, um, you know, I, I, I just didn't, didn't feel apt that, um, that I fit in. And, um, so, um, you know, I, I just, I just went into hiding with myself and, um, you know, and, and, um, that's probably wasn't good. It'll be quite a few years before you were diagnosed as having a bipolar condition, but did you know, as you were growing up that something just wasn't quite right? Well, you know, um, to be honest with you, Chris, I never had friends, um, um, and, you know, I, I think I had trust issues, um, um, you know, because uh, I got beat up a lot. And um, and then, you know, the, um, the um, you know, then I became the bully, you know what I'm saying? 
Um, and, and, you know, um, my self-esteem was really low. You know, I tried to commit suicide as a kid. Um, but thank God, um, my mama slapped some damn sense into me. <laughs> and I really mean she slapped some sense into me. And, um, and um, you know, and I got on my knees and, uh, and prayed. And, um, and I asked God to give me one thing, um, um, you know, to live for. And um, so my mom told the pastor. And um, so that next, that next um, rainfall, um, you know, in, in the Southern Baptist Church, um, before they did those tanks, you had to walk out in a creek. And um, so trees and everything was um, flowing by. And he told me, you better walk out on faith. And um, I, I remember that in, um, in my whole life now is um, it's about walking on faith and um, just believing that I can do anything. For many years, you used your meanness. You talked about being a bully to keep people away because you didn't want people to know that you had a 10 year old child inside of you. Roughly what age were you when you started to use that strategy and how long did that go on for? Um, it went on for most of my life, man. I, I, um, intimidated people. Uh, you know, I made, I made sure that they didn't want to talk to me. So then I don't, you know, they never got close to me to know, um, how, what was going on really inside of me. I, I, you know, I let Ronnie lot, he got the closest to me and, um, but he never, never got inside of me. Um, and I, I always wanted to be that intimidated that he was. And, um, and that, I think that's what drove us together because we're the same piece of a part. So you led your high school team to the state championship, but you weren't highly recruited by colleges and you ended up playing for James Madison University. How did that come about? Um, well, you know what, um, at, you know, um, the school I grew up in, you know, they didn't, um, they didn't like us, like me and my brothers, because um, we had to work during the summer. And uh, so we didn't do that football stuff. But we were, um, you know, we got to a certain point. We were, we were the whole football team, the whole basketball team and everything else. And um, so the um, guidance council, um, the colleges were sending them um, uh, things. He never gave it to me. And, um, and so when I finally found out I could go, I wasn't ready to go because I, you know what, I hadn't taken the courses that I needed. Um, but James Madison took a chance on me, and I would, I'm gonna always in my life respect them. And I tell people always that when somebody take a chance on you, you better value that because um, you know that's that's one great moment. And um, I love them so much, and they got my Hall of Fame bus inside and um you know i i you know coach mcmillan um he knew something was wrong with me uh he sent me to a counselor while i was there and then they fired him in two years and then after that i went back to being tall you know um you know get in my way i'll beat your ass you know and um so um you know we got to keep it real baby so you were finally diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 2002, three years after you retired from the NFL. Were you at all worried during your career that it would change you and you wouldn't be as an intimidating on the field if you sought help? No. Um, you know, 
one of the things that I try to get people to understand is I'm the con I'm I'm the calmest when the bullets are flying. And I knew everybody position on the whole team. So when we get in the huddle, I can tell everybody what that job description is. You know, the, the thing that I had a problem with is, is being called out. And so the way I, I, I fought that was is that I knew everything. I knew what the defense coordinator knew. And so that I never had to have that confrontation because, you know, um, um, you know, there can only be one. You know, it can only be one alpha male. And, you know, um, and I'll fight for that one. How do you think your playing career would have been different if you'd been diagnosed with bipolar and received treatment earlier? I wouldn't have. Hey, it wouldn't have did anything, man, because um, the medicine I take now, all it does is it slows my brain down enough for me to go to sleep. It, um, it takes away my um, um, agitation. Um, but after that, you know, I'm the same, I'm the same guy, man. You know, I, I get pissed and, um, you know, I just, I just changed my life when I got, um, older and, um, went from Malcolm X to uh, Martha Luther King now. So, you know, I don't believe in violence, but you know what, if, if I got to step up, I will. Would you say that you or others were in denial to some extent about your mental health and what should someone in their audience do if they or someone they know is in denial about their mental health? You know what? Um, to be honest with you, Chris, the biggest thing they can do is let them know how much they love them. Second, be honest. Something is wrong. Hey, they may not like you, but you keep moving your feet. Every time they get up, every time they move, they see your face. They know they can trust you. And at some point, that trust will take them to get help. The thing that I try to tell people is pick one damn thing to live for. You can find 99 other reasons to live, but find one. Find that one joy and hold on to it. How does one find that joy? You know, how do you, you drown out the noise of 99 other things? Well, you know what? I... Once Your phone's I, starting once to slip, Charles. Sorry, right. to interrupt. <laughs> once, you're back. The once, um, the once, once I got, um, once I got my medication under control, my life changed. I could see out the window. I never could in my whole life. Um, you know, I all I saw was dirt on the windows. I couldn't hardly see out. And um, so once I once I got my medication regulated, and I found somebody. I can trust to talk to. See, what's wrong with people is they think it's one doctor, one shoe fit all. It doesn't work like that. You have to search and find. And then, you know what? You can't be, you can't, you need, you need help. Hey, and, um, and it don't matter where, who's it come from, but you need it. So to that point, you know, I get the sense that athletes may be more prone to hide their mental health issues. Do you agree or disagree with that? I agree a hundred percent because you know um, the world makes makes people feel like if you have a mental illness, is that you're going to go kill somebody, and they don't realize a mental illness just like high blood pressure, kidney problems. Hey, it's something that needs to be treated. Hey, 
because you you know you got heart problems, you ain't gonna go out and kill nobody because you got that. So people need to change their mindset and tell the world, you know what? The hell of what you think about me. I wanna live. And the only way I can live is I gotta get help. So what was the tipping point? You know, what happened on the day you said you wanted to get help and have a better life? <clears throat> well, I, w- I was at um, I was at um, Chris Raw um, Steakhouse with my family, and um, they were teasing me, and um, I got agitated, and I hit the damn table so hard the people around me left. <laughs> the police came, and the fear that was on in my kids' eyes. Um, I'll never forget, and that was the day <clears throat> that I I started thinking about going um, uh, to really get help. But what really changed my life was, you know, I was medicating. I was doing drugs and drinking alcohol to just medicate, and and so that I don't have to deal with problems and issues. And uh, Andrew and Michael Carter. They came to my house and they told me that I'm going to treatment. And um, Michael Carter told me, you know, you can go there. You can go there with no bruises or you can go there with a lot. <laughs> so I went <laughs> and um, and I went to a dual diagnosis center. You know, I had been to um, treatments before and um, and I never had any success. And I went to a dual, dual diagnosis center and they got my bipolar in check. You know what? I never wanted to drink or do drugs ever again. It, it was like it was like night and day. I could not believe and the joy. I had fucking I had joy in my life. I, I you know what? Man, I I was scared to leave the damn facility. You know, they told me you got to leave your insurance up. Hey, you got to get out of here. I'm going like I, well, I don't know I don't know if I'm ready to face the world yet. And and you know, um, when I left, you know, I, I got I got time to set, and I wrote letters to people, telling them um, what they did to me, and then I wrote another letter, telling them what I did to them and how I regret that, and and I asked them to, to um, forgive me, but I also told them that I'm not gonna have one foot in my past and one foot in my future. In your book, you wrote that you'd wanted to kill yourself many times during your playing days and after. That sounds like an absolutely terrifying existence, day in and day out. Your faith, your belief in Jesus Christ stopped you from doing that. Could you explain that, please? Well, um, God is important in my life. He's always been. My mom always told me that um, you may leave him, but you're going to come back. And um, I just... You know, like I said, I was medicating. When you do that, um, the thoughts that go to your head is 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 out of control, and uh, that depression, the depression, man. I I rather I rather be manicky any day of the week than the, than to um, to go down in depression, man. You don't want to get out of bed. All you think about is um, um, gloom, gloom and doom. You know, and um, but. Christ, I knew that um, if I kill myself or anything, that I couldn't have a relationship 
with him. You know, he died on the cross for my sins. And so I realized that I'm forgiven. And, um, you know, and all I got to do is turn, turn away. And, you know, so I turned away from the alcohol and drugs. Um, and, and, um, I, I asked for forgiveness from, from my friends and my family. And, um, uh, thank God, man. Um, at first, at first, my friends, they looked at me and I, I, they looked at me going like, yeah, right. Okay. And I had to tell them, don't listen to my words. Look at the, listen to my action. I said, cause you know what? My words have legs and my legs create action or I'm going to shut up. So, um, after a while, they realized that I'm telling the truth. You know, when doing some prep work for the show today, uh, you know, just Googling some, some information on Charles Haley, a lot of different things popped up uh, from your playing days. And you were known for a lot of, uh, I'll call them antics, uh, in and out of the locker room. Uh, you said that you didn't apologize to your teammates. Instead, you told them that you regretted your actions. Why did you believe it was more important to express regret than to simply apologize and you think that's something that people should do more often? You know what? Um, I'm a con artist. I'm, you know, I, when you do drugs and, um, you, you know, you hide, all you do is, you know, you, you screw up and they say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. And then next week you do it again. Um, or you say things that hurt people. And my thing is, I, I left the NFL with about four friends. And the, and the thing that I always wanted was is somebody tell me they love me. But how can they tell me that when I'm an asshole? I, you know, I wouldn't let anybody get close enough to even understand what I was going through. So um, I have to look at the world different. And and me being able to walk up and hug hug my teammates or hug my family members and tell them, when you say regret, you have to tell them the action that you did that you regret doing. And that's the key. When you say, I'm sorry, you don't say Jack. But when you say, I regret, you bring up the pain that you caused them. And, and I think that's what's important. You've made the point that as a player, you used other people's strengths to increase your own strength. How did you do that as an athlete? And do you still do that today? Well, um, um, you know, Leon Lat, you know, he was, he was beside me and, um, and, you know, we would walk out on the field saying we're going to be mobile, agile, and violent. And he had a skill set. And so, um, I, I trained him and he, he knew that I controlled him as a, as a player, um, when we get up on the line of scrimmage. And he was okay with that. So um, I used his power and his violence to be able to increase my mobility and my agile. Um, what I do now is I have, I, have, um, I have a team around me that, um, that critiques my writing and spelling because um, those are my weak points. Um, and then also... I have communication. I, I have I have two teammates. They they have to be communicators because um you know I don't deal with uh, excuses and uh, it pisses me off um, um, because what we do at Tackle Tomorrow we you know we we do after school reading um, courses but 
these kids don't have a second chance. I know that. And I'll be damned if I'm going to listen to excuses. So I have to put somebody in between me. They got to be. <laughs> they got to go back in. You know what? He regrets saying that. Speaking of Leon Lett, did you ever get the chance to make fun of him for showboating on Thanksgiving and trying to go in for a touchdown and have somebody strip the ball? Hey, I don't care what he did. I love Leon, man. Hey, he. you know what? The thing I regretted was I never stepped in on anybody's life to try to stop them or change them because I knew what was going on in my own life. And I regret not being a better friend and teammate. Um, but he knows how much I love him. Hey, the love I have for him is 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 unyielding, unbounding. Um, and and uh, um, you know him and Tony Tobit really, really um, made made my life special. We've been talking to and having lunch with NFL Hall of Famer and mental health advocate Charles Haley. I'll be right back after a short break, so Charles can have a little more lunch. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com again that's jeff spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com voice america is where you are and where you want to be join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available don't forget to view all our live events including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we're back with our guest, Charles Haley, member of the National Football League Hall of Fame class of 2015, the first player in league history to win five Super Bowls, a mental health advocate. Chris. Yeah. Chris. Yeah. I'm broken. I'm broken. Okay? That's how you introduce me. You're a man. I'm a man that's broken. No, uh, you're not know. broken. You're fixed. Blue, I got a lot of glue holding me together. You know? I'm, you know, and I, I, I tell people all the time, don't don't think of me as a um as some something special. I'm broken. I'm broken just like everybody else. And um I was just lucky to be able to um achieve some different things. But you know what? I achieved those I achieved those goals at a high cost. You know, and um and and you know, and I don't wanna ever have to make those choices ever again. Well, and I appreciate that, Charles. And you say you're broken. You've got glue holding you together. You say you're not special, but you are in the sense that you realize that you were broken. You've put yourself back together and you're using the career you've done for yourself and made for yourself as a platform to help others out there. So that, in my opinion, I think our listeners' opinion, that's what makes you special. By, by appreciate you having me curtail the smoke and the accolades. Uh, but just one, but one last one is that one of your, you're one of my all-time favorite NFL players. So I just want to get that out there too. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. So Charles, not only did you play on both the Cowboys and 49ers, you played against both teams when you were with the other one. In 1989, you're with the 49ers when they beat the Cowboys in the regular season and went on to win your second Super Bowl ring. In 1990, the 49ers and you beat the Cowboys again. In 1992, you were with the Cowboys when they beat the 49ers in the regular season and the NFC Championship game. And you won your fourth Super Bowl ring in 1994. That list goes on and on. How difficult was it for you to join a team that was first a bitter rival? And then how did you adjust to competing against former teammates that you knew and liked so much? Well, you know, the, um, that, that, that problem I had was um, I don't adjust. Uh, I don't adjust. I, I realized when I came into the Cowboys that um, they were a team already. And I was an individual, so you know, individual. You know, I, 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 I lead with fear. So I, my goal was to strike enough fear in these guys' heart to keep them on a on a distance away from me, and um, keep them on edge at all times. So um, I did that pretty good. Um, it was, it was, it wasn't hard um, playing against Forty Nineers because. Um, um, they devalued me, man. I, I just felt like um, they thought I was easy to be replaced, and 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 that pissed me off. And so when I when I went to play them, you know, it was it was um it was game on. Um, you know, I I just you know it hurt. Um, you know, when I went to the Cowboys, you know, I, I was leaving the team of the '80s. And going to the Cowboys, you know, and I didn't know anything about the Cowboys or any anything. And um, you know, and Jerry Jones meet me at the airport, and uh, and you know, I'm Jerry Jones at the Dallas Cowboys. Then he take my luggage. I'm going like, yeah, right, okay, hey, no, 
no, you playing games, yeah. And uh, then people started telling me, yeah, that's Jerry Jones. I'm going like, okay. And the greatest thing that he ever said to me, nobody's ever said, I got your back. Nobody's ever told me that before. And and um, those words, you know, he's a man of his word. And um, he's always had my back. Every NFL team has extraordinary athletes on it. You know, the best of the best. So how is a Super Bowl team different from a team that is not as successful? What's that winning edge? Attitude. Attitude. Hey, you got to want it. And, and, you know, the problem is they don't want to take it. Nobody's going to give you shit in life. You got to take it. You know, if you want it, you got to go take it. And that that's the kind of fierce um, competition that I brought to the game. I wanted to be the best player on the field every time I walked out, offense or defense. That's the attitude I took out there. When I walked out to practice, I walked out to practice to kick some butt, okay? Or I stayed in the locker room. You have to know. You have to be a man. You got to walk out there determined to be the best. And I'd be damned if anybody's going to hold me back. This show, Next Steps Forward, is about personal empowerment and well-being. One way that we empower ourselves is by working with each other. What lessons about teamwork and the importance of chemistry can we gain from all of your Super Bowl victories? Teamwork um, is the key to, key to success. I don't believe in I because I ain't did nothing. It's about we. I, I believe that um, a, a team is a chain. Is a chain, and you know what? You know you can lean to your right. You can lean to your left, and you and you 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 held up. But you know when you're an individual, you get hit from all sides, and so um, I. That's what I've always believed in. That's what I believe in now. I, the game has taught me discipline. And what I do is I try to be a team leader. I try to set a standard, set goals, think out the box. And then the people around me, they, they have their own strengths. And, you know, and I try to change them sometimes. I try to try to take someone that's nice and try to make them mean and then take somebody that's mean and try to make them nice. You know, hey, people are who they are. And I love them for that. And the greatest power comes from just knowing your weaknesses. Most people don't even understand they have weaknesses. And then you got to have a skill set, not just one skill. You can't be just a great talker. That doesn't work. Okay. You got to motivate and, you know, you got to motivate people. And, 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 and that's the, that's and, and inspire people. And then, you know, we got to hold our ass accountable. So that means you ain't going to be like, and you know what? Hey, I tell them in a minute, I don't give a damn whether you like me or not, but I want you to respect me because respect is the strongest part of love. Do I make me mean or nice, Charles? Hey, man, I don't know, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to look good, dog. Cause I'm t- <laughs> I, I look at that face and I go like, that's what ugly look like. <laughs> At least you got a great smile, though. Uh, trying to keep up with you, Charles. Trying to keep hey, up with your you. Dentist, your dentist, you got to pay him extra. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charles, you mentioned Jerry Jones having a big impact on your life. Who are some of the other people in the NFL that helped you along the way? Well, you know, you know what? Um, 
El Diballo, um, you know, he was a great, greatest owner, um, you know, and then as Jerry, you know, I, I walked in the league and Ronnie Lodge, Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, they all was playing with me. And you know what? I didn't know who the hell they were. I went, you know, a preseason game. I'm sitting there and I'm nervous and stuff. I opened up one of the brochures and I looked in there and Joe, I saw 10 pages, 12 pages of Joe. Then I went to Ron and Jerry Wright and I'm going like, why do these guys, I couldn't never, I can never understand that what, what they saw in me. Um, and you know, um, you know, um, you know, Joe is Pinocchio, you know, that nose dog, you know, I, I, I was at practice one day and I jumped outside about two or three times and Bill Walker like, Haley, what the hell is your problem? I said, Joe's nose is outside. So that's why I keep jumping off out there dying over. I said it. <laughs> so speaking of the NFL, league officials recently announced they're looking into alternative treatments for pain other than prescription drugs medical marijuana would be a potential alternative. It's also reported the NFL would stop drug testing for marijuana. Is that a good idea? No. They got to hold one standard. You know, they just want to, they want to go because um, the, um, the, 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 you know, the players that are getting busted are the top players that people come to the game to watch. So um, that way of dealing with it is, is to hide. You know what, what's next? You know, um, it's like everything else. You start, you start one place, and you keep going. And you know, I started drinking, I started doing marijuana, and then I started doing cocaine. So you know, it's just you know, it's one thing after another. The NFL, you know, so are they gonna let steroids come back? You know, it's I. It stays about the NFL that I love, that I could always count on, is that. That standard of excellence was very high, and you knew if you break if you break that standard, you had to pay a price. And without that, without them knowing that they can pay a price, they're gonna they're gonna man they can push your damn envelope. And you know that, and most of them are uh, uh, you know they dumb it in a damn box of rocks. You know, hey, these rocks you get a spark from. Damn. <laughs> Universities are also focusing more attention on the mental health of student athletes. What can they do to better address those most important issues? You know, um, they need to get athletes ready to, um, to, to do that second life after uh, football and, you know, sports. Because, you know, when I got done playing, I went into depression because, you know, I never thought that it would end. And, and I didn't know, I didn't have anything to turn to. And, you know, nobody told me that, you know, you should be preparing for the end. So I, I think that the way you got to deal with it is, is that you got to you got to feed you got to feed the sheep. You got to give them power and, and, and you know, and opportunity, you know, because that's the key to it all. You know, um, you're going to always have people that are um, depressed and stuff. And you know what? They have psychologists, um, sociologists. They got all kinds of people walking around that room that see it. But you know what? They cowards. They wait for that kid to come to them instead of them going to them. And, you know, I, I'm at the Cowboys at the 49ers, and I see people acting like me. I go ground by the arm and take their ass into the 
um, to the counselor and go like, yeah, you need to be in here. So let's talk about the work you're doing today. Tell us about your foundation, Tackle Tomorrow. What's its mission and why did you choose that mission? Well, um, Tackle Tomorrow is about after-school reading. I told you I went to college reading two grade levels behind. And um, these kids don't have a second chance. So if we don't get it to them now, who's going to do it? And um, our way, our way is, is a little different than most people because we build the community and the school. You know, we provide GED and ESL classes. Um, we beautify the school, put computers in there, teach them um, coding. You know, we're taking down south what the private schools do and to empower these kids in the community. You know, when you, when you spread love, it may not come right back, but it will come back. And, and that's what we know, because when we go down there now, we got, we got parents coming to, um, to PTA meetings. Um, we got, you know, they making sure the kids in class, you know, they coming up, um, volunteering. I mean, it's, it's impressive um, what we're doing. Um, but, you know, Tackle Tomorrow is bigger than Charles Haley. I don't have to be that face for our foundation to run because we got one goal and that goal is excellence. You know, you have inside of you greatness, and, but you got to let it out. And people got to give you tools to do that. Because if you don't feel like you got a voice, how in the hell can you let that greatness that lives inside of you out? So I have to, I feel like I go down I think about I think about our foundation every day. I think about how to impact these kids' lives. And my feet, my feet leaves a trail. And my teammates, my teammates, you know what? I, I tell them like my mama said, you know what? Um, if you follow this trail, you can always be walking behind, but you need to make your own trail. And and so my teammates, they they push me because they're always out the box. They're younger than me. They're smarter than me. Hey, but I'm more determined, though. But um, we got to work on that with them, though. You know what I'm saying? I, they can't have it all. <laughs> Keep them in check. Yeah. So Tackle Tomorrow is a very different mission than your work with Ronnie Lott. What are you doing to, as I mentioned in the intro, to educate teachers about helping students navigate their mental health issues? Um, we 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 take psychiatrists down um, when when school year is over to talk about trauma, um, how how you know because kids act out. They think the kids have a learning difference. It's just that the kid has been experiencing trauma, um, and um, and then um, you know the teachers go through stuff. And so what we try to do is we try to focus on. Um, uh, um, one part of it is is talking about what mental illness is and how it affects you and and then how it affects everybody around you. Because I didn't notice what, what I was doing and being an asshole and not not letting people get close. And, you know, as a teacher, you can have that same persona and you're not really helping anybody. So um, I... I let my I let my story speak, and you know, um, 
me and Ronnie, we came together because Ronnie knew something was wrong, but his ass never told me. And, you know, and, 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 and you know, and I want to punch him in the eye all the time because, you know what, he was my best friend and he could have told me. But, um, you know, it's like anything else, you know, how am I going to um, perceive it? You know, am I going to take it with blessing or I'm going to think he's against me? And so that's why I feel like I can step out of the, the box and tell people, you know what? Um, don't be, don't be Ronnie. Speak up. Because you know what? Um, that person's life is on the line. And if you stay silent, you know, silence is a killer for the person that's suffering and the person that's watching them suffer. So, you know, nobody wins. I read that as you were starting out with your efforts to help players with substance abuse or mental health issues, that the first five or six relapsed and you felt like you were doing something wrong. First, you'd said that you failed. Was, was it really your failure or theirs? And what were you doing at the beginning that you've changed since? Well, you know what? Um, I, um, my daughter just graduated from Stanford. And, um, you know, I had a chance to reflect. And, um, you know, I, and I told them that I failed them as a father and as a dad and, and as a husband because, um, you know, I wasn't there. I wasn't there um, physically or emotionally. Um, if that mom had not been that rock, the only thing I did was is 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 discipline. That's the only thing that I, you know I can remember that I I contributed to that relationship. And and I know in my heart that if they they put that trust in me, then um, then I, you know they it, you know I don't think I can ever I don't think I can ever fix. Uh, the pie, you know, it might be, it might have uh, whipped cream on the top, but shit underneath, you know, and, um, and, you know, it, it don't matter what happens now. Um, I love my kids. I love my ex-wife, but you know what? I, I know there's a lot of stuff mixed in underneath. They won't even talk about my mental illness. They won't even um, address any, any of the stuff. So they're never, they're never healed. And, uh, and, you know, the only person that affected is me because, you know, they're tight. You know, when we go out to eat, they just talk among themselves. I'm standing, I'm sitting there. So I don't do anything with them anymore. You've made the point that the way the media covers mental health has contributed to its stigma. That is, every time a gunman shoots somebody, he has a mental illness. He's dealing with depression. But there are a lot of people who don't do that. You suggested that drives people with mental health issues back into the dark. What's the solution to that problem? The solution is, is that we got to do a better job as a, as a nation, as a country, talking about mental illness, talking about the difference and talking about that um, mental illness is like any other illness. You have to go seek help. And... And that's the only thing I can really tell you is, is that if I did, if I had not went to that dual diagnosis center, I don't know what would have happened to me. And um, I, I just, 
that's that was that was God sending his message down to save me. And I tell people all the time, don't wait. Don't wait. Seek it. You know, um, people talk to me about mental illness, um, um, some kids. Um, and you know what? And, and, you know, they talk and um, and I tell them, also, you know, the parents want me to talk to them and I get a kids my number. And, you know, I don't hear nothing for months. And then they call me and say, OK, um, can I go see your counselor? And then they'll call me back, say I'm in treatment. Um, it, it's just a blessing when that's happening because I, I don't want to see a, a child um, kill himself and then the parents, um, um, you know, hold that, you know, for the rest of our life. So, Charles, we have just a few minutes left. I promise to let you get back to your lunch. To that point. It's cold now. I know, I know. I owe you lunch after this. I promise. You know, I get paid for this shit. Oh, I know, I know. Checks in the mail. Don't worry. You know, okay. So, would you share your best advice for anyone who's trying to cope with mental health issues? And what would you tell people who have a family member or friend going through those challenges? Just be the rock. Be there. Stand. You know, stand on the rock. You know, I, I tell people all the time is that, you know, um, a lot of time my ego and, and, and things um, happen and, and I don't want to deal with it. And and God, you know, he bring me down to my knees. And, you know, and I think I'm on a rock, right? And I look, the rock, the rock, is, you know, it's, it's, it's being crushed, right? And I say, God, I, I said, why, why, why is the um, rock breaking? He said, because I'm building a mountain. So you have to understand that you're going to go through things in your life. You're going regardless of whether I take my medicine or not, I'm still going through things in my life, but I'm better prepared for it now. I'm better prepared for it because you know what? I am on my medicine. I, you know, I take advice. You know, I'm stubborn as hell most of the time, but you know what? I am what I am, and I know in my heart that God brought me here to serve and be of service. And people that have mental illness, that know people that are going through something, they need to speak out. Charles Haley, thank you so much for being with us today, and thank you for your service. Thank you, Chrissy. And thank you to our audience for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek public figure and on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. And don't forget to follow Charles Haley as well. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place with another leader from the world of business, politics, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.